I'm Steve Fisher. Let's talk about death. It's the great equalizer. Rich or poor, that's how all our lives end, preferably later rather than sooner. And something has to be done with us when we do depart. Humans are the only species aware of this inevitability, yet so many find it a topic they can't discuss. As Death's Apprentice, Krista Ovenel deals with this on a daily basis and guides others through their confusion. Death's Apprentice is an education and planning company, and my big, big goal is to help literally everyone understand what truly holistic advanced care planning means and help people embrace and connect with slightly difficult topics, illness, death, and planning for those realities. As all of us are, Krista is living with death on Life Slices. Okay, we are here with Krista Ovenel today, Death's Apprentice. I usually ask people to start out by telling us who they are, but I'm going to ask you, how will the obituary read for Krista Ovenel? Oh, it depends who writes it, doesn't it? Um, I think it will read, Krista pretended to be fearless. And often she succeeded in convincing people she was. <laughs> so, so this is an extremely difficult subject for so many people. Considering yeah. we are all born terminal, why is that? Yeah, you know, we're, as a species, the human species is the only species on the planet that is said to understand the reality of their mortality. And so it's actually quite interesting. We're the only ones who are aware that our deaths will occur. And yet, societally, we seem so disconnected from that fact, right? And I think that's really true here in the West and in the global North. I don't think that's actually true. In fact, I know it to not be true in, in other cultures. Um, And I think that those cultures are the richer for it. In a death-denying society like ours, I feel that we um, are really disconnected from a fundamental part of our humanity. And in a death-embracing society, we, we honor elders and we honor ancestors and we can speak more easily and freely about the reality of mortality. So here I am just trying to to make regular folks, you know, not not crazy hippie types that are all down with it anyway, like just regular folks okay with reacquainting themselves with this topic. Explain exactly what Death's Apprentice is. What what do you do? Death's Apprentice is an education and planning company. And my big, big goal is to help literally everyone understand what truly holistic advanced care planning means and help people embrace and connect with slightly difficult topics, illness, death, and planning for those realities, right? So the way that I like to do that is to just be frank and to be calm and maybe sometimes a little bit funny but but never you know never shying away from from the big from the big questions and just being honest and inviting other people to be my tagline is be brave be honest and be ready and that's what i want people to do eventually you know what i think that we could have the kinds of services that i provide they could be part of 
folks have benefits plans, it, employees benefits plans, you know, the way we might sign up down in the States. What, what's yours called? A, t- a 401k, I think. Yes, up here we have exactly. something called RRSPs, right? And people might get help with that as a benefit. Well, you know what? Why not get help with figuring out and planning for and thinking about the reality of your mortality. Wouldn't that be amazing? Oh, that's that's a great idea. People are, are trying to get pet care into employee benefit plans and all that. But this one is is a practical it's one It's the one for thing everybody. everybody needs. Yeah. Like literally everybody. And think about what happens, love, when you don't plan for something like this. Like think about what happens when all of a sudden you're in an urgent situation and you have literally no idea of what happens next. One of one of my one of the things that I say to folks is like people say, "Well, I don't I don't know if I really need to do that yet." And I'll be like, "Oh, okay. So, let me just ask one question. Are you mortal? Because if you are, you do need to do this and you need to do it now because if you don't, I guarantee you. So, I'm a funeral director as well as as all of this other stuff, right? I guarantee you one of the biggest questions that I get all the time, people phone and they're sad because someone has just died and they say, "Hi, my blank has just died. I don't know what to do now." Or they say, "I don't know what happens next." Or they say, well, am I supposed to, and then they'll just make something up that's just like kind of crazy. And you're like, no, 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 don't do that. Don't do that. Come in. Let's, let's get things sorted. But imagine approaching any other professional without having even a little bit of an understanding of what is going to happen next. Imagine if we bought our phones this way. Imagine if we bought cars this way. That would be crazy. That would be totally crazy. You speak to a great point. I was going to ask this later, but I'll ask it now because it seems appropriate. I just went through a situation like that just like uh, back in September. I had an old uncle, 95, like a year or so before. I went down to California where he lived. I was his closest relative. Sure. And I was trying to talk him into making a plan. Mm-hmm. And he wouldn't do it. He wouldn't even discuss it. He would. He was just getting angry. And then when he passed away last September, no one knew what to do. Right. And it fell on me, you know, and I'm talking to friends and, and other people that, in his life and going, any idea what he wanted? So we couldn't honor his wishes because we didn't know what they were. So at what point do you start putting the pressure on friends and family to share that information? Do you know what I find works really, really well? doing your own work first. Because if you can actually tell someone about this great experience, you know, I thought it was going to be a little scary, but I actually recently made a serious illness plan. I made an end of life plan. And I did some funeral planning with this really cool funeral home or person like me at Death's Apprentice or a death doula or whatever. And it was so it was so enlivening. It was so enlightening. I can't believe how thinking about my own death and my own serious illness was actually such a great experience. Like imagine if you were talking like that at a at a dinner party, like people would, people would perk up. So I do find that it's very difficult to, to lecture and be like, uncle, so-and-so it's hard, you know, I need you to do this because it's going to be a burden for me. 
eh, sometimes actually it can work very well. I'm Ukrainian. I can, I can guilt my mother into almost anything, right? So, <laughs> so sometimes that will work. But one of the best ways is to just learn about what needs to be done, go and do it yourself, and then say, all right, now that I've learned this, what I need is for you to do this, because if you don't, here's what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. And then, you know what, you might still get the situation where uncle so-and-so is just going to be like, no, I really, this is, this is so uncomfortable. But then potentially you could get curious and say, so, so why, why are you afraid? Do you think that maybe talking about this will, will make it happen? And then maybe you can talk about some of their values or you can talk about something that they love or you can whatever. And it can actually just be this incredibly connecting and beautiful experience instead of a scary one. Yeah. Yeah. But unfortunately, we didn't have that. As, as much as my, my son and I both tried to talk him into it and he wouldn't do it. Other people tried to talk him into it. He wouldn't do it. And then he died. So I you're going to die. And he left a huge burden for you. Right. 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 Because right. then you're you're left thinking, well, would he have wanted this or would he have wanted that? And you default to whatever your own wants are because that's all you know. And then there's always this Oh, should I do something else? Right. And oh, it's yeah. so hard. I'm very sorry you so, had that experience. So, so we, I, I know so, that very well. Well, it became easy because we just decided to leave him where he was. That's not true. We didn't do that. <laughs> you can't. <laughs> <laughs> so there's an old adage that has been attributed to lots of different people. Okay. And it was dying is easy, comedy is hard. Okay. It's an old showbiz thing. To what degree do you find the first part of that easy or accurate? Comedy is easy? No, t- dying is easy. <laughs> oh, dying is easy. Comedy, dying is easy. Comedy um, is never easy. I find that, unfortunately, in our society, dying isn't that easy. We have, because we are a death-denying society, even the act of dying is something that is that can be very difficult and can be very isolating. We have some systems in place to help, hospice systems and palliative care systems and things like that, but they're often ill-funded or up here in Canada, we have a real significant issue with a rural-urban divide. So certain things might be available in bigger cities, but not in smaller towns. I think that sometimes we don't know what we don't know about dying. And so there's so much fear and there's not a real sense of who you can go to to get the, the answers. And so I, I wish dying were as easy as it could be, but mm-hmm. It's, it's actually often not easy to die. And one way to make it easier is to think about it in advance and think about what might matter to you. Do you know, when I'm dying, when I went to funeral school, we all learned, we had to like put this on the exam at the end, I remember this, we all learned that 80% of people want to, when they think of their death, they think of, this is an American stat, by the way, they think of a real Norman Rockwell kind of scene. They think of a a bedside and people gathered around it and they think Mm -hmm. of a quiet, peaceful death. 80% of people, that's when they imagine death, that's what they imagine. 20% of people experience that. So think of that other 80%, right? Maybe you're getting hit by buses or maybe you're alone or maybe you're in a hospital or maybe, you know, there are so many other things that could happen. And if you can't control, if you haven't thought in advance about the things that you can control about your dying experience, because dying is an experience, not just an event, 
right? Right. Um, if you if you give some thought in advance to what might matter to you about your own dying, then you can help other people help you at what is truly a difficult stage of life. It's mm-hmm. it's not it's not always Im- impossible, but there are things that are difficult about dying because just like when we're babies and we need all the support of people who love us around us, that happens again for almost all of us at the end of life. Mm. So being able to share, like, you know what I would like? I would like quiet and I would like to be toasty warm. Other people would love to have people singing to them and a nice cool ocean breeze. And like my desires, if people didn't know that I really run cold and I hate being cold, they would probably be out there trying to open that damn window all the time. And I'd be lying there on the bed like, just just close the window, I'm freezing, right? (laughs) Or they'd bring in a a beautiful romantic threshold choir to sing to me and I'd be like, shut up, but I couldn't say anything, right? So it just, it's so... It's so simple to think about these things, and but but we don't, and so that's what I that's what I want us to do societally. Yeah, there is that fear that, that probably is not politically correct to to quote Woody Allen, but he said, "I'm not afraid of dying. I just don't want to be there when it happens." Oh yeah, <laughs> which is I, I think most of us feel that way. Yeah, it, it yeah. would be nice when I hear about somebody who just goes to sleep and doesn't wake up. It seems okay. That's ideal. How does that happen? How do I sign up for that? What is the biggest mistake that people make when thinking about death? Oh, actually not thinking about it is the biggest mistake. So as soon as people are thinking about it, I am just so proud of them. They're already ahead of the game. The biggest mistake that you you might make, though, when thinking about it is, is things like, it doesn't matter. I hear this all the time. Doesn't matter because I'll be dead. All right. Good point. Yes, you absolutely will be. But unless there has been some mass trauma, people you love are not dead. And that's who it matters for. And that's why what I'm asking people to do in this brave and and fearless kind of way is to actually be selfless. Some people say, well, it's a bit selfish to plan your own funeral. Oh, I just don't want to, you know, I can't, I can't spend all that time thinking about me that way. Actually, it's the most selfless thing you can do. Because when you're dead, people who have loved you, people who have needed you, people who have received support from you, people who, whose lives will be so profoundly impacted by your absence, those are the people that have to then go and put all of the practical things in place. All and then there's so many of them. There's so many tasks and chores. And then they also have to, or they will likely be drawn to thinking about the not so practical things, the ceremony and and the ritual surrounding uh, end of life experience, right? And if we have been selfless and we have given some direction in this regard, then those people won't be burdened by having to make all the decisions that you had to make back when your uncle died. So I think one of the biggest mistakes people can make is when they just say, doesn't matter, do whatever, I don't care. Okay, I'm sure. But maybe th- instead of thinking about you being dead, maybe you could think about the people who will not be dead. 
Actually, I just recently got an email from my insurance company, my health insurance company, saying, do you want to make a health directive for the end of life? And I said, yes, I do. I said, remembering my uncle in that situation, I said, yeah, I don't want to be a burden to my kids. So I will, I'll do it now. And I filled out all the paperwork of what I wanted for end of life care, what I wanted after my death and all that, and then sent it to my kids and said, don't worry about this. I said, it doesn't mean anything. I'm not planning on going anytime soon. Right. I, I said, but here, just store this away somewhere so you know exactly what I want when I'm at a point where I can't make decisions for myself anymore. How did they receive that? Actually, very well. I yeah, was surprised. Yeah. yeah. My youngest son didn't respond, <laughs> <not> <laughs> respond to it at all. But my other two, what is this? And I explained and they said, okay, thanks. Yeah, thanks, Dad. And they just like, stored it away. Matter of fact, they just stored away. It, which brings up the point, now I'm 70, so you can make the case that I'm nearing the end, hopefully not that near, yeah. but 20 years, 30, yeah. whatever. <laughs> I just found a hundred-year-old cousin, so oh well. <laughs> okay, yeah. so I might, maybe I'll make it to a hundred. But at what age should people start thinking about this and start mm. making plans for the end of life? It's such a great question. It, my answer might surprise you because I genuinely wish that we could incorporate conversations about the reality of our our collective mortality into all stages of our lives. I wish that there were educational opportunities, even even in schools for littles, you know, for little pre-K kids and little grade four kids, you know, so that they could maybe deal a little bit better with when their puppy dies or or when their grandma dies or, God forbid, when a, when a classmate dies. So is it ever too early? Probably not really, but from a practical perspective, I do think that right around the time that we start hitting like major life milestones is a great time to put just a practical hat on and be like, okay, maybe I should, maybe I should attend to this. So imagine if when you graduated from university or, or perhaps if you were like, you know, going to get married in your early, early thirties or something like that, or late twenties, you know, maybe that might be a great time to start thinking about and learning about some of the practical matters, the wills, the powers of attorney, the advanced directives like you've just completed, started starting to learn about medical decisions that could happen for a sudden incapacitation. Sudden incapacitation for you at 70 is going to look different. Probably you're going to be like, you know, falling and breaking your hip. Sorry, but that's, that's like a likely reality. Whereas a 30 year old, you know what, they might be in a skiing accident or something, but it can, it really, it can happen at any age or stage. So why not think about that? Why not think about, hmm, if I were to go suddenly, what, if I were to die suddenly, what kind of instructions would I like to leave behind to make it easier for the people who love me and who are going to be so sad about me being gone? And then maybe it's never too early to even think about legacy messages and lasting love, love messages and things like that. If you did it for the first time in your 20s, imagine how easy it would be to revisit later. And then if, but the, you know, the other answer, that's a very idealistic answer. The other answer is if you are in that sad and un- uncomfortable and, and hard position, like what you just went through, where you've lost your uncle, these are really natural times to just think it through. And it, that's exactly what happened for you, right? It triggered you. You were like, goodness, and now I've got this thing from my life insurance. And, oh, I've seen what, how hellish this has been for 
for me because of his inaction, well, I'm going to do it. So that's a great time after something has happened to someone else, connect in with an educator. And and there's so many different ways, people like me, private companies like mine, but you can also, there's all sorts of stuff, public health stuff and free things. And oh, oh goodness, it's out there. You just have to dig for it. When I was a kid, I was not allowed to have any large animals as pets, not okay. dogs or cats. I could have little tiny turtles or fish or bird. And when they died, my parents would flush them down the toilet. Right. I, I lived in New York, so there wasn't a lot of ground to, to bury them. They would just flush them down the toilet. And I always wondered, how am I going to handle this when my parents die? They were a little too big to flush down the toilet. (laughs) But there are a lot of people who are, it's a weird segue, but here here we go. A lot of people are afraid or put off by the concept of being buried underground. What are the different options that people have when it comes to doing something with their remains? The disposition. You know what? You're so lucky. Down in the States, you have more options than we have up here. So traditionally, we would have burial, which would be either a traditional uh, green burial, old-fashioned, just straight direct earth burial, or a more modern conventional burial now, which would have a concrete liner and a big fancy casket and all that kind of stuff. And then you're going to have flame-based cremation. And you might be going flame-based. Obviously, it's flame-based. I've never heard of anything else. Flame-based cremation is very, very popular all through the West. But there's a water-based cremation, which I'm wild for. It's called alkaline hydrolysis, or aquamation, as it's sometimes known, or biocremation. That's a beautiful experience where your body is placed in a chamber, but instead of then being lit uh, with fire, you're filled with a bit of water and a bit of essentially lye or potassium. And that 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 container is agitated a bit, and your 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 skin and cartilages and everything else are dissolved. And then actually, kind of like your fish, sent down the sewer. Uh, You're left with the same stuff that you would be left in a flame-based cremation. All the bones are still left, and then those are ground up, just like in a cremation. Uh So aquamation is very popular. In um, a few states right now, you can have something called a natural organic reduction, which is also known as human composting. It's mm-hmm. probably not the most popular choice, right? And it's quite new, but a really, really interesting idea because your body is, is returned to and turned into a soil. And that soil could actually even, if you don't need a truckload of soil, then you can actually donate it to reforestation product projects, which are just amazing. Those are probably some of the, the very, the most accessible flame-based cremation, burial, or alkaline hydrolysis. In the States, you do have legal options, which we don't have up here uh, for burial at sea. And of course, with both flame and water-based cremation, there's the actual remains that you still have to deal with. So in a burial, boom, you've just done everything that you need to do. It's all done. You just walk away. That's it. You never have to deal with anything else. After a flame-based or a water-based cremation, you are still going to have some remains. You're going to have the cremated remains left behind. Those can be turned into diamonds. They can be shot into space. They can be made into records. They can be turned into these really cool concrete reefs that get placed in the ocean and grow up all sorts of little ecosystems. They can be made into jewelry. They can be, you can, you can get like thumbprints taken that are turned into necklaces. And it's just, it's quite amazing the number of things that are possible. 
Yeah, I, t- I told my kids I wanted to be com- turned into human compost Great. and then be plant a marijuana bush in the backyard <laughs> with me. Wouldn't that be perfect? I think that would be great. Think, yeah. Now you're probably going to want to give some of the dirt away because you get literally like a pickup bed truck. Yeah. Yeah. So you can you can donate some of that dirt and then the rest they could plant your marijuana bush. I think that's brilliant. I'm working really hard to make that legal up here too, but it's not legal yet. And instead of flowers once a year on my my bush, just put some popcorn or chips. Right. So that would be about perfect, actually. Yeah. Very on brand. <laughs> I think back to my grandmothers, because sure. this is an interesting point for me. With my mother's mother, she was not a very nice person. Mm. She was a very miserable person. I mean, later in life, I learned that she was just a very sad, mm. miserable lady. But at her funeral was a real downer. And very dour and people standing around and there was just no joy in in the situation. My other grandmother was always the life of the party and really funny and, you know, made people laugh and friendly to everyone. And her funeral was a laugh a minute as everybody just told stories Stories, about her and you couldn't help but laugh. To what degree does our life inform our death? Oh, so such a huge degree. And... One of the one of the things that I love to consider with that is the the questions around like well I'm going to ask you then what what would you what would you like people to remember you by or as the, the like, laughter the laughter I, I want them to to remember the jokes you know, singing just goofy things I did and do you have any fears about what people may remember no. Oh, good. Okay. No, because again, I won't be here. <laughs> no, but you know what? I, I do think it can be a very illuminating question for us. What do we hope for? What are we afraid of? And then what can we do to align to make sure that the life that we're living is the legacy that we want to leave? Mm-hmm. I, I wonder if your, if your grandma, if she had, I mean, she probably had some, some really significant things that were keeping her from leading the life that she wanted to lead. And I can only imagine, right? But every day we make choices, right? About the lives that we lead and the impact that we have on others and the impact that we have on the earth. Mm-hmm. And we can align our legacy, which has a root in, in a word that means living, right? And legacy is something that we we create after we die, right? The legacy isn't created until we're gone. Right. But, but really, we're creating our legacy every single day. And that's why this work of, of contemplating your mortality is so enriching and so shockingly fun to do. F- fun. Fun. <laughs> it really yeah. is. You have, have a few drinks first and then talk yeah. about it. <laughs> and ask some deep questions. Yes. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Now, as a funeral director, take sure. us through the details of what needs to be decided upon somebody's death. I think that's a great question because so many people think, oh, cremation or burial, right? Or, or recompose, right? Um, that's just the first question. So there's everything from registering the death, which is usually the funeral director will do that for you, but it can be done by the family members too. And in order to do that, you need so much information about people's vital statistics. You need to know where their parents were born. You need to know where they were born. You need to know what their name was at birth. You need to know where they died and their personal health numbers or whatever you call them down there. You 
probably need to know a social security number. There, there are so many like little details that need to get registered at that point. And that can even be a bit of a burden when, when you're dealing with grief, right? If somebody just turns to you and says, what was your mother's maiden name? And you're like, oh, I wasn't expecting that question, right? <laughs> so, so those things are very practical. But the other, the other pieces are things around, would you like to have a viewing? Would you like your body to be seen again? Would you like that opportunity for people? Maybe, maybe they weren't at your bedside. Maybe it would be very healing for someone to see that. If you would like that, what clothing should we put that in? Should we, should we take him to the, to the recompose site, to the natural organic reduction? Should we take him in a limo or should we take him in like in a hearse or should we take him in a utility vehicle? Should we put him, in, let's say we're going to bury you, should we put you in really fancy expensive box or should we put you in this like less fancy, maybe just pine rough box? So lots of practicalities. But then when you get through the disposition, then there's the ceremony. Where will it be? Who will be in attendance? Will, will you have tea or will you have champagne? Will you tell stories? Do you want an obituary? Are you quite private? Does that go against your sort of, does that make you feel a little bit uncomfortable? So many things to consider, hundreds, and, and often at a time when you are really ill-equipped to do so. Yeah, I, I want to be turned into a Disney animatronic figure and stay yes. around forever. I think that sounds perfect for you. Yeah, yeah. It would scare, <laughs> scare my grandkids. I do have a lot more questions, but we're running out of time. So what questions would you like to answer about you or your work or death that I haven't asked about? Oh, you're a darling. Why does this matter? I think you, you, did, uh, you did ask that. But you know what? I would just really like to invite people to think about how positive it can be to think not just about death, not just about after death, but dying about illness, about how to connect in with that eventual reality in a way that's meaningful for you. People like me, end-of-life doulas, death educators, planning, planning specialists, even funeral directors, we can help. And I'm here to do so if you like. Great. How do people find you? What's your website? deathsapprentice.ca so www.deathsapprentice.ca i'm also very active on instagram and i have like a series for example called misconception mondays and once you get to my website you can find my my cbc we have a big national radio uh, up here called cbc and i have a have a monthly column on that so you can get to those there too Terrific. Krista, thank you so much for being here. And uh, I wish you, I don't know if success is the right word. (laughs) Your success is dependent on other people kicking their mortal coil. (laughs) No, that's so, I can't tell you how much I enjoyed this. This was such a pleasure. And if you ever, if you ever want to go deeper, you just call me back. Okay. Okay. Will do. Thanks so much. Thanks a million. This was lovely. Bye-bye. My thanks to Krista Ovenel for sharing her knowledge and insights into the human approach to the end of life. Nobody likes to think about their demise, but it's not fair to leave all the details to your survivors. Nobody wants that. All they want is the money and treasures you leave behind, assuming you have anything to leave. If you enjoyed Life Slices, please like us and share on social media and subscribe wherever you find fine podcasts. Life Slices is produced by Beatnik Ravens Productions, all rights reserved. Music courtesy of Beslian Studios. Mm-hmm.